koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is koinonia. This is community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. This is Koinonia Radio. It is 1360 KPSQ on the AM dial. Faith Talk, connecting faith and life. But this is not Tom Brown. This is Vocab Malone. Every now and then, Tom Brown says, hey, I got to do some important stuff. I got to make that money. I got to stack that paper. I got to get that cake. That just means he's going to make money in hip-hop slang, guys. And so he hits me up and says, hey, Vocab, can you do my show, Koinonia? And I say, Tom Brown, I'd love to. You just, you just need to pay me in ravioli, and we're good. So he pays me in ravioli, and we're good. So here I am in the studio. Last week, I filled in for him as well, and we did something very different. But remember, connecting faith and life. We did a theological analysis of the new Suicide Squad movie. That's right, pop culture analysis from a Christian biblical worldview perspective. And we asked this question, why do we like villains? Very good show with my friend, Super Theologian. Going to do a show today, similar but not identical, a theological analysis of X-Men, specifically the Apocalypse movie. It came out in May 2016. The DVD will be released this fall. And again, the point is not to make everyone watch these. The point is to say there's a new genre that's becoming more and more important in American culture, and we want to theologically analyze it. To do that, I'm going to play the trailer for the movie, and so you can hear a little bit of what we're going to be talking about today. Things are better. The world is better. Just because there's not a war doesn't mean there's peace. He's coming. That's Apocalypse. That's the one who's coming. A villain Some named call Apocalypse. him Apocalypse. He was some kind of god. For thousands of years, he's been amassing mutants to take their powers. He always had four followers. Like the four horsemen. Eric, don't join them. Whatever it is you think you saw in me, I buried it with my family. Together, we will cleanse the earth. Everything they've built will fall! And from the ashes of their world, we'll build a better one! I've never felt power like this before. They took him. Raven, the world needs the X-Men. Here comes the X-Men. Students look up to you. If I'm going to teach your kids something, I'm going to teach them how to fight. Follow me. To her. I'm not afraid of him. Magneto, he's my father. What? Him and my mom. Yeah, so yeah, this I is know. a guy named Quicksilver. <laughs> not all of us can control our powers. Then don't. Apocalypse means to destroy this world. It's all of us against a god and the most powerful beings on earth. Quicksilver again. You think you know. None of that matters. You're not students anymore. I'll take everything from them. You're X-Men. 
kind of intense. Kind of intense there. Well, you've been busy. X-Men Apocalypse. We're going to do a theological analysis when we come back. I'm Vocab Malone sitting in for Tom Brown here today. We're going to talk about this. And even just in that trailer, you heard God mentioned two or three times, didn't you? You heard Apocalypse. You heard her, the, the four horsemen of the Apocalypse from Revelation 6. So there's a lot there for us to discuss. And we're going to ask, how is it that comic book movies keep on putting this stuff in there? What do we make of that? What can we do with the theological content in pop culture? You know, because it's there. And so I'm going to have a very special guest, a super nerd on, (laughs) named Miko Diego, my friend who I met at Comic-Con. He's going to be on with me, and we're going to ask this question about X-Men and specifically the Apocalypse movie, Don't Go Anywhere. Welcome back to Koinonia Radio. My name is Vocab Malone. I'm sitting in for Tom Brown today on 1360 KPXQ Faith Talk, connecting faith and life. Stream our show live. Yes, that's right. You can hear this worldwide. Do not forget to tell your friends. And download the show afterwards at the SoundCloud channel for Koinonia Radio. That's right. Just look for vocab. Look for the date. You'll be able to find it. Like I said, my name is Vocab Malone. Sitting in for Tom Brown here on Koinonia The first segment of today's show, we play the trailer for a movie that's been out a little bit, but the idea is we're discussing things from a theological perspective that are in the pop culture consciousness. And so last week, we discussed the Suicide Squad movie and asked, why do we like villains? This week, we're talking about a movie that came out in May called X-Men Apocalypse. I played the trailer for you in the beginning. The point is not to go make you see this movie, okay? And it's not just promo for them, although I guess it probably is. What we're trying to do is to show that you can analyze things in the culture that are readily available for theological analysis because we don't just want to let them pass by. And when you have a movie called X-Men Apocalypse, and then in the trailer they mention God two or three times, they say, you know, he's basically a god. They're talking about the villain of the movie. And it says it's us going up against a god. Again, speaking about the villain of the movie, Apocalypse. Well, that is ready-made for theological discussion. So to help myself do that today here, I got my friend Miko Diego, who I met at Comic-Con. What's up, Miko? How you doing? What's going on, brother? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you. Can you tell us who is the villain of this movie, Apocalypse? Who is he? Uh, The villain, Apocalypse, uh, name originated, he's Egyptian, actually. He's an Egyptian character named N. Sabah Nur. So that's his Egyptian name. Arabic for the morning light. Okay. Morning light. Yes. Okay. So, and he's supposed to be the first mutant ever, right? Yes, the first mutant ever. The first mutant ever. There's uh, encounters, those encounters with him fighting uh, actual Dracula at at one time. Okay. By the way, everyone, we don't think any of this is real. I just want to make sure everyone knows we enjoy this stuff. You know, we're having fun. But I just want to make sure everyone knows we don't think Apocalypse exists. (laughs) Okay, but uh, so Apocalypse is what, 4,000 years old or something like that? Uh, Yes, around that, around that, maybe a little older, but yes. And now I want to stop here again. Now, so everyone knows the idea of X-Men is heavily rooted in genetic mutation, and the genetic mutation of X-Men is rooted... And basically, uh, evolutionary concept or worldview. So, 
that's often described in some of the movies, I'll say something like uh, every so year, every so many years, evolution takes a leap forward. They'll say things like that. And some of the opening sequences to some of the previous X-Men movies include um, sequences where it looks like they're going through genome code, you know, like they're going through DNA. You'll see DNA, double helix structures and things like that because they're letting you know like, hey, these X-Men are that way because they've been mutated. That's why they're called mutants. So X-Men are mutants. Now, they're different than, say, for example, someone like a Batman. Now, we're skipping over to the DC universe, but Batman is, is a human who's like a detective with all these gadgets and stuff, but he's actually not mutated anyway genetically. So it's not like he was, quote, born that way. The mutants, the X-Men, are. And so that's kind of the background. So understand that there is an evolutionary concept rooted in the very idea of it. So we are pointing that out and let you know, like, you should be aware that that's there. Now, I would say it's contrary to what we actually know about genetic mutation, meaning genetic mutation usually produces disease, It produces bad things, and we don't want it. That's why when Chernobyl blew up, everybody left. They didn't want to get mutated that way, you know? It's not a good thing. It doesn't actually give you ability to fly or or laser eyes, you know what I'm saying? This is why it's fiction. But nonetheless, we enjoy it. We just want to understand some of the presuppositions behind it. Now, back to Apocalypse. What's important for people to know about Apocalypse? Uh, Apocalypse, back in in the time where he was born, he was the first mutant, where Mm -hmm. people always thought, that Namor was the first mutant, uh, the Submariner. So that's another Marvel character. He's like the underwater guy. So people used to think he was the first one, but it's actually Apocalypse? It's Apocalypse. Namor fought Hitler and certain individuals. But um, let's see, with uh, Apocalypse, he was more more, uh, further back in time. Like I said, he was an Egyptian pharaoh that actually dominated his, his term of life. And conquered. He believed in survival of the fittest. Okay, so again, so he also does have an evolutionary worldview in a sense himself. Now, you mentioned that Apocalypse holds to this idea of survival of the fittest, which is sort of a Darwinian thing. And it's interesting. There's a scene where Apocalypse first is awakened from his slumber. And he goes and he watches TV and he like intakes all the information. It's in 1983, by the way. The movie's set in 1983. Great period music in it, by the way. And um, there's a quick shot of a pope on the TV screen. And right when there's a quick shot of a pope, Apocalypse says, quote, the weak have taken the earth. So it's interesting. So Apocalypse looks at a pope, for example— and then says, the weak have taken the earth, literally at the same time. Now, that's sort of a Nietzschean view of reality, and that's that survival of the fittest. Frederick Nietzsche was a German secular philosopher, and he said, now that we know that God is dead, and what he meant by that was, now that Western civilization knows God has never existed, so the concept is gone from our minds. That's what he meant when he said God is dead. He didn't literally mean God died. So when Nietzsche said that, he was saying, now kind of everything's up for grabs, and so all that is left is what's called the will to power. Apocalypse really embraces the Nietzschean idea of ethics and who should rule, and so he views himself as the fittest, and so he views himself as a god. And let me show you some other things he said that give you evidence of this. Uh, There's another place where he says, you can fire your arrows from the Tower of Babel, but you cannot strike God. Now that's interesting again. So Apocalypse seems to be well-versed 
in uh, the Old Testament because there he's making a reference to Genesis 11. And he's saying that you humans can try to attack me from your strongest point even when you're unified. Do you guys see that? You can fire your arrows from the Tower of Babel because the Tower of Babel was where the monolingual humans at the time, they all spoke one language, built a tower to try to reach heaven basically to show how great they were. God was like, ain't going to let it happen. So he split up the languages and there became a division based upon that. And then he says, you can fire your arrows from the Tower of Babel, but you cannot strike God. He's saying nothing you will do will touch me. I'm at that level. But it's not like the cast agrees with him. So they do say his powers are godlike because the way he seems to have power over creation or nature or whatever. But Xavier, that's Professor X, the guy who becomes, spoiler, bald at the end finally and is in a wheelchair and has telepathic type powers. He says, you're just another false god. He says that to Apocalypse at one point. And so Apocalypse is not actually viewed in the movie as legitimately god even though he does say something in the trailer that trips people out when they ask him, who are you? He says, now this is Apocalypse speaking, I've been called many names over many lifetimes, Ra, Vishnu, Elohim. Now, Elohim is an Old Testament way to describe God. It's yes. plural. It can be God or gods. But whenever it has a singular verb in Hebrew, we always translate it as God, G-O-D, because the verb lets us know, okay, this is not speaking about plural gods here. It's God. And so Elohim is just – he's saying that's who I really am. Now, the movie doesn't actually seem to agree. The movie doesn't really seem to actually say, no, this is Elohim. But Apocalypse seemed to think he is. Now, let's flip back to nerd world. How is it that Apocalypse can exist over many lifetimes? Explain that to us, Diego. How can he exist over many lifetimes in the first place? Well, he has, first of all, um, he has multiple powers. Uh, multiple powers, such as? You're far away from the mic. I'm having trouble okay. hearing you. Uh, first of all, he has a genius-level intellect. That, okay. He has, um, he's a super brain. I mean, he can absorb all kinds of information from anyone with no problem, as you've seen on the movie. That is true, true to the fact. Uh, he's telekinesis, which means he can lift things with his mind and crumble cars if you want to just by looking at him. Telepathy, which means he can read into your mind and take over your mind if he wants to. Um, techno, technopathy, is, which means what he did with the TV, going into technology oh, and okay. absorbing that. Right, okay. So, uh, teleportation popping up all over the place like the mutant nightcrawler, as we all know. Um, and once again, he's immortal. His immortality comes from basically taking the essence from his followers due to the fact they believe that he was a god, which he wasn't. He was a mutant with the ability to absorb the essence of others to basically um, regenerate his life, his life over again. So he can transfer his consciousness into new bodies, basically. Yes. And, and the idea is each time he does that, he picks up powers, and they stick yes. with him, correct? And, and it, yes, and he just basically restarts his life cycle all over again. So let's talk about that for a second, because you notice, everybody, a lot of the powers that Miko just laid out for this X-Men villain apocalypse are sort of godlike. However, notice he's accumulating them. So it's not like he automatically has all of them. He's accumulating them. So it's as if he's picking up little by little, sort of becoming more, quote, godlike. Now, as a Christian, we must stop and realize and say, hold up, hold up, hold up. The, even calling him godlike is only focusing on one part of what it means to be God. 
his ability, you know, it's true that when we see the God of the universe, he's powerful and mighty and he made all that we see. However, his character, his character is a sharing God. We can see that in his Trinitarian nature, even in his being. These three are one. And so there's a community even built into the very nature of God because of his Trinitarian nature. God is a sharing God. When he makes creation, he's under no obligation to make creation, yet he shares of his life by making creation. He even shares of his image in a way when he makes Adam and Eve, man and woman, male and female. He shares of his own person when he sacrifices himself. This is the son, of course, only. But the son sacrifices himself, the son who is God, on the behalf of his creation who had rebelled against him. Again, under no obligation to do so. So this isn't this God of the universe that actually does exist is not just in charge because he's the strongest and the baddest and the most powerful. He's also praiseworthy because of his characteristics. Now, Apocalypse is not praiseworthy. He is indeed powerful in the X-Men Marvel Universe, but he his character is to just basically enslave people. Now, when we come back... We're actually going to get into some quotes here from the director of the X-Men Apocalypse movie. And he is going to liken this Apocalypse villain to a very, very important character from the Old Testament. A very, very important Bible character. Try to guess who it is. I think his answer is actually going to shock some of you when you find out who does Brian Singer, the director of this X-Men Apocalypse movie, who does he liken this villain to? Who? We'll see if you can guess. I'll tell you on the other side of the break. In the meantime, this is Vocab Malone sitting into Tom Brown on Koinonia Radio. I'm talking to my friend Miko discussing X-Men Apocalypse. Do not go anywhere. This is Koinonia Radio. You are listening live, 1360 KPXQ on AM dial. Faith Talk, connecting faith and life. I'm sitting in on Koinonia Radio for Tom Brown. My name is Vocab Malone. I do a radio show called Urban Theologian Radio. You can peep out those shows at urbantheologianradio.com. Yo, whenever I'm on, we do things a little bit different at Koinonia, but uh, that's why I'm here. I'm here for the young people. No, not really. I'm here for everybody because what we're doing today is kind of a pop culture theological analysis. The idea is that Christians don't just want to let the culture pass by their eyes without thinking about it, you know? So when there's a whole new genre of movie that's becoming more and more popular, namely superhero genre of film, you know, Marvel and DC and everything else in between, we want to take stock of it. Find out what's going on there. And today we're doing that specifically focusing on X-Men. Movie came out in that, uh, the sixth movie actually in the series, believe it or not, came out in, a, wait, six, yeah, sixth movie, came out in May called uh, X-Men Apocalypse. X-Men Apocalypse. And what I did at the end with my guest, Miko Diego, at the end of the last segment, as I said, there's a villain named Apocalypse, and he's got all these powers, and he's a wicked dude, man. He's, he's evil, man. He's trying to enslave humanity, and he thinks only the strong should rule. Well, guess what? Guess what? Brian Singer, he's the director of X-Men. Who out of the Bible does he liken Apocalypse to? So remember, this is the villain of the movie, the bad guy who wants to enslave everybody, who's going to rain down wrath, and uh, Apocalypse even has a quote where he says, Everything they've built will fall, and from the ashes of their world, we'll build a better one. You know, so he's like, he's, he's the dude there. He even calls his fellow mutants children, basically like he's their father. 
So keep all that in mind. And remember, he's evil. He's wicked. He takes over people's minds. He he kills at random. You know, it causes great destruction. You know, his very existence is sort of a threat to an extinction-level event. And Brian Singer, the director, says this. This is in an interview with Collider. Listen to this. This is a quote from the director, okay? Listen up. The way I describe him the most, the best is he to me is the God of the Old Testament and all that comes with that. If there isn't the order and the worship, then I'll open up the earth and swallow you whole. And that was the God of the Old Testament. I started from there, and when Oscar and I, that's the actor who plays Apocalypse, when Oscar and I met, we began discussing, since he isn't really God, he's the first mutant perhaps, but he's not God necessarily, he's imbued with certain unique powers. Some of them may or may not be from this earth we don't know. Let me read another quote. This is another quote from Brian Singer, the director. This is on the villain of the movie. So this is not like a random thing he said once. Listen to this. This is another quote. Apocalypse views himself not as a mutant, but as a god. And for all intents and purposes, he is potentially the god of the Old Testament. After being buried for 4,000 years, he awakens to a society that has become interconnected and developed hubris. Humans have created nuclear weapons and assumed godlike proportions in the buildings they build and the things they create. So he, that's Apocalypse, sets about to eradicate those things and build what he considers a cleaner, purer world. Also, one of the writers for the film, a man named Simon Kinberg, also said in reference to Apocalypse, he is the god of the Old Testament. So you see multiple places that Apocalypse is described as the god of the Old Testament. Now, we're going to talk about that in a second, but what else should people know about Apocalypse? Maybe some of his other names, some of his other powers or characteristics that you want to share. My very special nerd guest friend, Miko Diego. What else do we need to know about Apocalypse, the villain? Uh, about Apocalypse, uh, there's this so much stuff to go on with him. I mean, he's a num- numerous. He's not the strongest being in Marvel comics, so to speak, but he is one of the strongest, most powerful. Who is? And is Thanos stronger than Apocalypse? Thanos would be stronger. Thanos would be considered, you know, if you looked at it from, if you looked at Marvel from a godly aspect, he's in that god area. What about uh, Galacticus or whatever his name is? Same, same thing. He's of the immortal gods where uh, Apocalypse is on Earth, okay. he's immortal, but he's not godly, you know, where those guys are. You mean godly quote, in the quote, sense unquote, of, God. the, you mean yes. like the called a god with a lowercase g? Now, the yes. interesting thing about all three of those characters, now, you may not know the answer to this, but you, it's, I want to see if you can see where I'm going. Miko, what do all three of those characters have in common? They're all what? They're not heroes, they're villains. They're all villains. They're all villains. You notice, so uh, here in the Marvel Universe, uh, some of the main most powerful beings who are who are kind of considered godlike at different levels, they're all villains. And yeah. here you have the director of the movie saying, look, this guy's like the god of the Old Testament. Now that gets into an important concept in culture. People do have a perception of, the, they, call, they say the god of the Old Testament, and they see things like the flood, where yes, God wiped out all that we're living at the time, save a few on, on the ark. They look at Sodom and Gomorrah, where God rained down fire and brimstone there. 
They look at what happened with Joshua when he went into the promised land and the Israelites were the were the hand of judgment by God and they conquered the Canaanites and it was done in the according to the military fashion of that time and so it was a brutal thing, the kind of cleansing out of that whole area, which really did happen. They look at even the escape, the exodus from Egypt and you got a, a, a situation where the, all of Egypt suffers because of their enslavement of the Hebrews. And then as they escape, uh, I mean, think about what happened in the last one. The firstborn of every Egyptian male and all the households died from the angel of death. You you have the Egyptian army getting sw- swamped on. I mean, there, this is, these are just some of the examples. So you see the judgment of God in a very kind of up close and personal way. Even Brian Singer mentioned something about you know, God will open up the ground. Well, in Korah's rebellion, God did just that when the Israelites were in the wilderness. And so this idea of God of the Old Testament, I think people see the wrath and judgment of God, but, but this God is still a merciful God. I want people to think about the Psalms and you read the Psalms and you see God's mercy and what's called his hesed. Hesed is a Hebrew word that means loving kindness or covenant faithfulness. And it's the fact that God is loving loyal to the core, no matter what. This is the God of the Bible. So we as Christians should not go around saying the God of the Old Testament. He's the God of the Old and the New Testament. So the same God revealed in the Old Testament. Remember, this is the God who made us. So, you know, he's got he's got some claim on us. You know, he's sovereign. The same God of the, quote, Old Testament is also the one who sent his only son. The father sends the son to die for the sins of the world. John three sixteen. you guys probably know it. He didn't have to do that. And so the God of the Old and New Testament are one and the same, although God, of course, is more fully revealed in the pages of Scripture as we go on. That's true. But it's not as if he changes his characteristic. And in fact, think about this. Jesus didn't just come down to live a pure moral lifestyle, did he? No, no. That's part of what he did. Okay, he he kept the law perfectly. He died on the cross. That shows us what? That God takes sin very seriously. Because Jesus, to pay for sin, to be that sacrifice, to be that atonement, to be that propitiation, to be that expiation, all those big theological words, basically that means Jesus paid for our sin. To do that, he couldn't just kind of be like, hey, you know, I'm paying for you. He had to die. And that shows us how serious God takes sin. So the mercy of God, mercy is where God holds back something we deserve, is seen at the cross because God says, I'll pour my wrath out on the Son instead of you. But the mercy is seen there, but so is the wrath because God's wrath is revealed upon the cross as well. And so that's something to keep in mind that the God of the Old Testament, we understand that's the way the culture would describe it. And really, I think it's because culture has a problem with the God who judges it all. Because our culture doesn't like anyone judging. Don't judge me. It's wrong to judge. By the way, if someone says it's wrong to judge, guess what they just did to you? They judged you. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of a self-defeating. But, I mean, do you want to make any comments on that idea of apocalypse, who he is, the concept of gods and Marvel Universe, you know, villainy, anything you want to uh, kind of mention before we kind of move on to the next thing? I want to give you a chance, Miko. Yes, I mean, just on the basic fact that um, when you said uh, the, the death archangel or death, it was just like in the movie where um, he had grabbed the angel mutant, and that was his his uh, messenger. Right. And he, yeah. And he, and he actually turned him into the archangel. That's what his name became. Right. He became the archangel of death. 
I never, just, I never even really thought of that. So there is a character in this movie who basically has like wings kind of out of his back, and um, Apocalypse gets a hold of him and makes him more powerful, and he becomes the Archangel, and he's uh, like Apocalypse's messenger kind of thing. And so there's even like a corollary where this godlike character of the Old Testament actually even also has his own archangel, which, you know, God does. Michael. Michael's the archangel. Uh, curious. Do you know the archangel? What's his, his what's his real name? Is it Michael? I'm curious. And, and no, the, no, no, it is. It's actually no. Warren. 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 Oh, I'm just curious. It seems yeah. like they, it seems like they would have <laughs> named him something like that. But whatever. Warren. Well, that's a little bit different. OK, so. Let's look at this. Let's look at some other quotes about God in the X-Men Apocalypse movie to see what's the theology of this, because here's what I'm saying. It's actually not consistent. Let me give you an example. There's a character named Nightcrawler. He's he's a blue guy. He kind of looks like a demon, I guess. And he, um, well, we'll get into that. He is is a believer. And actually, there's a place where he prays. And he says, listen to my prayer. He's praying to the Father. Listen to my prayer. He actually says that in the movie. Dear Father, oh, to be in the light of God. Protect me from danger. Save me by your command. Listen to my prayer and keep me safe. That actually hearkens to Psalm 71.3, which says this. Be a rock of refuge for me, where I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and fortress. And so my point by that is Nightcrawler is a heroic character in the movie. He, he's a good guy. In fact, probably one of the more pure innocent ones, actually. And he's shown praying. And his faith, if you want to label it that way, is not portrayed in a negative or mocking light. I think it's done in sort of a uh, reverential way. And he's shown praying. And there's even theology in his prayer. And the, the theology in his prayer is not too bad. It's pretty good. Dear Father, to be in the light of God, protect me from danger, save me by your command. It's actually yeah. recognizing the sovereignty and protection of God. Listen to my prayer and keep me safe. You see that? And he, it's while he's doing a good thing. Also, there's a place where another character says, thank God, upon the arrival of some needed medical assistance, and she's clearly not talking about Apocalypse. Another newscaster later on in the movie says, by the grace of God, grace means a gift. And then a military leader says on the phone that our prayers have been answered at the end of the film. So the point of that is that God, prayer, and the theology of these movies a lot of times is not a consistent message because you see sort of God portrayed supposedly as a villain in the show by Apocalypse, the villain there. But then you see other places where it seems like prayer, faith in God, and a, and a recognition in some kind of actual God are seen as a positive thing in parts of the movie. So there's a back and forth, but it has a lot of theology in this movie, to be sure. In fact, when we come back, I'm going to give Miko a chance to say something else about what I just said there, but I also would like to look at this idea of the apocalypse itself. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 6 and look at this idea of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. On Quinity Radio, Vocab Malone discussing X-Men Apocalypse and its theology. Welcome back to Quinity Radio. My name is Vocab Malone. I am sitting in today for Tom Brown, the normal host. Thank you, Tom Brown. We're talking on 1360 KPXQ. You should know that already, though, if you're listening. Don't forget to check out the website. Don't forget to download the app. There is an app where you can listen on your phone anytime. Pretty nice. All right, so here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to continue a discussion we've been having, which I think is fascinating, about a theological 
biblical analysis of a pop culture movie. We did this again last week. I encourage you to check out that show. It's a great show. This week, we're doing it with X-Men, and specifically a movie called X-Men Apocalypse. It came out May of this year, and the DVD comes out in the fall. I've been with my friend Miko Diego to discuss the theology of the movie. Can you give our listeners who are just joining us a recap of what we've discussed so far in general on today's biblical analysis of X-Men Apocalypse? Yeah, no problem. Um, Just basically, we went over the synopsis of comparison uh, our God to Apocalypse, who is really a false God with God-like powers by the way of taking them from other mutants. And, you know, we all know Apocalypse is the false, uh, fake character made up. This, all of this is just for entertainment purposes only. Um, but it's the comparison of how he is um, shown to be a god in the, in the X-Men movie and the powers he has, the telekinesis, how he is able to absorb certain thing, information from the time he came as an Egyptian pharaoh to the present time in which the movie took place in 1983, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So thank you. So with that, uh, currently we're going to be talking about his, or we passed talk about his uh the angel of death that he had compared to the archangel that God has, the archangel Michael, right, and certain other uh, aspects of God's powers, where God is a merciful God, the apocalypse, living on the theory of the uh, secular theory of survival of the fittest, and it's just a big positive and negative of either one aspect, it's very negative, to our God aspects, which is very positive, and you could see how our God is is the true merciful God of the whole situation. Right. Now we want to talk about Nightcrawler. He's a blue character that kind of looks, they make him look a little bit demonic, if you would. Now, in the Marvel Universe, who is Nightcrawler, Miko? Uh, Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler, a.k.a. Kurt Wagner. He is German, so it pronounced Kurt Wagner mm-hmm. with a V. And he is the son of Mystique, which Individuals may not know. Spoilers. She's a villain. Uh, she's a yeah, villain, she, everybody. She's a villain, the shape-changing villain on the X-Men movie. And her, his father is what we called uh, Azizel. And he is the red, demonic-looking, mutant demon villain on the X-Men First Class movie. And Azizel is considered to be a demon. Uh, comes from an area where they fight mutant-type angelic individuals. So he has a son by mistake, and his son is able to teleport. Nightcrawler teleports through a dimension, a demonic dimension, so when he comes and appears in front of you, you smell brimstone. But yet, which is a, 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 the idea is like you're smelling a, kind of the remnants or the residue of hell, I guess. Exactly. And, and notice, just in this description, some of you are like, this is crazy talk. Why are these people on the radio? These are, I, didn't, I, I, I don't want this. But this is why it's important. You see in the fictional world of comic books, which are becoming ever important in a lot of ways in our pop culture consensus, how much biblical imagery, even if it's you know, twisted sometimes or you know, reappropriated, you see how much biblical imagery in some way or another is in there. And in fact, with Nightcrawler specifically— 
He was abandoned as a child, so mm-hmm. he was an orphan, left on a doorstep, I believe, of a monastery, yes. and so he was raised by Roman Catholic monks. Exactly. And he has, I guess, a form of stigmata, so he's sort of in more of the Roman Catholic tradition, uh, on his body where he has like these tattoos he's inscribed on his sin that are, are, are on his skin that represent some of his sins. Isn't yeah. that correct? And so he's always kind of viewing himself as almost atoning for his own sin. By the way, Christ is atoned for sin. We can't do it by putting tattoos on our skin. But what else is important for people to know about Nightcrawler? Because he is a heroic character, despite his background, which is interesting. Yes, Nightcrawler is a heroic character. And as far as I know, and I've known the Nightcrawler character since I was uh, a young character, he's always been a positive character. He has uh, never killed you know, or you know, he's he's attacked, but never attacked to kill like the right. character Wolverine, you know, uh, or right. like that. Due to his background, you would think, being that his background comes from two characters that we know would be willing to take a life so quickly, you know, his is the complete opposite. So Nightcrawler is very interesting. He's a paradox, yes. and um, his his belief in the God of the Bible. And what his prayers, which are rooted in Scripture, are actually portrayed in a positive light. So he's not mocked or made fun of. He's he's portrayed as a sympathetic, sincere character. And so, you know, we went earlier and said how they basically said that the villain of the movie, Apocalypse, is like the God of the Old Testament. Well, clearly that's not sympathetic towards Scripture. But then there's other places where Christian faith of some sort is portrayed in a positive light. So our point was comic books, Marvel, X-Men specifically, and X-Men Apocalypse more specifically, are not entirely unified or consistent in their theology. Now, Christians should have a more consistent, robust theology as our worldview becomes shaped more and more by Scripture as we grow and mature in the faith. And so we should be able to analyze these things and say, I can agree with that. That's a good idea. Here's the problem with that. Here's why this is wrong. And and be able to do that. And I think that that's part of a mature Christian response to culture. Now, let's flip and end with Revelation 6. I'm going to read it, and then, Miko, I'll let you talk a little bit about it. Now, I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the living of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. That's Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Now, in the movie, what do they say, Diego, in relationship to the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Well, in the movie, the four horsemen... Into the speaker. I have trouble hearing you, man. Go ahead. I'm sorry about that, sir. In the movie, 
they actually um, he actually selects the strongest mutants to help him. Basically, um, if you could use the word shepherd, you know, control, and his his idea would be control all the humans. Yeah, so they're like viceroys under his rulership. Exactly. He kind of takes control of them in a way, but he also convinces them. It's like a a mixture. And one of them is Magneto. Let me just real quickly say something about Magneto. Magneto's background is that his folks were killed in a concentration camp, so he's Jewish. And he, in an earlier scene in the movie, this is a spoiler alert, loses his whole family. And as it goes down, he, he, he basically gets revenge on people who are in some way involved in his family's death. And he kills them all with his mutant powers. He, he can control uh, metal, basically. And he looks up to the sky and says, is this what you want from me? Is, is this what you want from me? Kind of like to God, like, look what you've caused, and now, yeah. you know, I'm a murderer. Is this, what, is, this, is this what I've got to become, is the idea. And Brian Singer, the director, comments on Magneto and his performance in the movie and says something that I thought was interesting. He's found Eric at the most vulnerable place in his life. That's speaking about Apocalypse. Eric is Magneto's real name. He's searching for God. That's Magneto. Remember, he was a young Jew in a concentration camp when he first lost his family, and now here comes this man who was, is, or claims to be God. The power of persuasion is Apocalypse's greatest power. Eric's one of the most pivotal characters. Fastbender, that's the air actor, really delivers here in non-traditional comic book style. There are scenes here you will not see in any other comic book movie. I really think Eric goes through one of the most complex journeys in the movie. And so he's talking about Magneto, one of the people who kind of be viewed as Apocalypse's four horsemen and probably the most powerful because of his ability to control metal. Yeah. Comment on any of that, Diego? Um, due to the fact you want to comment on Magneto's power or the whole? Yeah, probably, you know, the idea of his four horsemen and Apocalypse and all that and maybe something about Magneto, whatever. Okay. Well, with uh, him getting Magneto, he went after the, at that time, the four most powerful mutants right. that can control basically the world for him. You know, he could sit. He could sit back and do his thing while they controlled and monitored the rest of the world, took over, destroyed, rebuilt. And um, with him getting Storm, who can control weather. I mean, if you look at it, controlling the weather, uh, floods, anything, fire with lightning. Then um, he got Archangel, who could fly around the world and at the speed of you know sound, just taking anything, destroying this got uh, the one Psylocke who was a superior telepath and could assassinate or kill at any time, anytime they needed. And with all those people on his team, including Magneto, who basically could invert the, pol- the polarity of the Earth, basically turn the world upside down, um, he had everything under control. Right. In the, in the, in the comic version, although it was different, it was more towards the actual Bible. He actually had... Uh, a, a horseman called plague, a horseman called pestilence. Oh, really? And a horseman so you, called famine and war. Okay. And then he, he Let me explain this real quick. Let me explain mm-hmm. this. A lot of movies now that are coming out, these comic movies, are based upon actual comic books that have already been written. And so you're saying in the original one, it was even more explicit uh, in Revelation 6 uh, illusion style there that they actually did have these four horsemen. And an oh, interesting yeah. quote takes place when... Uh, one of the characters says, oh, uh, Four Horsemen, he, he got that from the Bible. And then one yeah. of the characters says back, or the Bible got it from him. Now, that's kind of an interesting commentary 
sort of uh, making us doubt the veracity or truthfulness of Scripture. You know, if the Bible's ripping off a you know an evil mutant to get one of its ideas from, so it's a little kind of swipe at the veracity of Scripture um, there. But you know, it's got a heads up for those things. But listen. The show is really winding down. I wish it wasn't. We've had a great discussion. When we come back, we're going to have one final segment, Miko Diego vocab discussing X-Men Apocalypse and its theology. Welcome back to Coinity Radio. Vocab Malone sitting in for Tom Brown. Last segment here. We've been discussing X-Men Apocalypse, a Marvel Comics-based movie in the ever-popular superhero genre. And, you know, we're not the only people who have taken note of the theology and the importance of these movies in pop culture, just so you don't think we're out on a limb. For example, Christian Research Journal, a great magazine I really recommend you subscribing to, uh, pretty well-known, been around a while, actually had a cover story recently called The Gospel According to Marvel. And uh, it's written by John McAdder, and they talk about basically cultural apologetics and ask what kind of lessons can we learn from this cultural phenomenon. And that's what we're trying to do as we've discussed X-Men Apocalypse. Now, they said that the villain of the movie Apocalypse was kind of like the god of the Old Testament. We disagreed with that. But what's one other way that Apocalypse shows himself to be a false god? Miko Diego was today's guest and wants to comment on that. How you doing? Yeah, just wanted to touch base on the fact that Apocalypse shows itself being a god. He's a false god, of course, mm-hmm. and to show fear, and he increases his size. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he goes, he, he can, his ability to increase his size to giant proportions, I mean, 20 stories, or whatever he feels is possible. And just because that he he is that big, that does not mean he's a god. It just shows that he knows how to uh, reign fear over others. Yeah, so he is a false god, and keep in mind that the real God of the universe, he really does judge and he really will judge and not out of wickedness and wanting, you know, nefarious gain or something, but because he's righteous. And so that's something we should pay attention to. And again, just to show you that the Bible is important, we should become familiar with it. And our culture is aware. The actor who actually played Apocalypse, Oscar Isaac, I'm going to end the show with this quote. It's a character that I always just loved. He's talking about Apocalypse. Just because it freaked me out. I was really into anything that dealt with end times and being left behind in the Four Horsemen. The imagery in the book of Revelation is crazier than any comic book you'll ever read. The beast with the seven heads, angels, it's the trippiest stuff. It's crazy imagery. And so that always stuck with me. And you had a comic book that was trying to have a character that encompassed that feeling. So for me, he always has the feeling of the book of Revelation. So my point I want you to leave with is the Bible is important whether the culture recognizes it or not, but there's places where the culture does take note of things in Scripture that behooves us as God's people to actually interpret it properly and do a cultural analysis along the way. See you next week.